They think, oh my goodness, my job is to make customers happy. I need to delight the customer. And um, and so they're busy running around, picking up each interest, instrument and playing it for the customer when really they should be the conductors who are bringing in the right uh, service, the right touch at the right time, not to be the gopher doing everything. Welcome to C-Lab, the customer education lab, where we take customer education myths and misconceptions and give them a right smack across the bow. I'm Adam Evermescu. And I am Dave Darrington. And uh, welcome to another great episode of C-Lab. Today, with this episode, we're going to continue our focus on customer education as a part of customer success by welcoming Donna Weber back to the show. Welcome, Donna. And Woo-hoo. just before we give you the floor, uh, you were one of our earliest guests. And we're so happy to have you back, particularly today. That was episode number 20. And now, wow, you know, we're almost at 60. So that's amazing. Three times a row. Well, thank you for um, including me. This be one of our most popular episodes. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for including me. It is an honor to be part of the podcast. And it's so wonderful to see and talk to you both. Yeah, we're super happy to have you on. And like like Dave was mentioning, you are one of our most popular episodes to date. So uh, hopefully this will be a twofer since you're one of our first repeat guests on the show. Hopefully wow. your your next episode will also be one of our most popular. That's great to hear. Thank you. But we're super happy to have you on to, yeah, to, to announce the launch of your new book, Onboarding Matters. Yes, uh, just yesterday went up for pre-release. Um, Onboarding Matters goes live March 30th. And uh, it, I'm really excited to, to, to bring this to the world. I've been working on it for a while, and I'm excited to share why, why customer onboarding is so important and how to do it well. Awesome. Well, anytime a member of our tribe of customer education professionals uh, meets the challenge of creating a book, which, wow, we learned, Adam, you learned the hard way of how difficult that is. And Donna, you're right there now. It, we, we definitely want to be in that game and promote it. Before well, we start, you. though, you know what? We missed an important part of our show. And that is, is, is it the National Day of, Dave? Day of. National Day of. So today, you know, one of my favorite days of all time. I've been looking forward to this forever. Not really. Uh, Chocolate covered raisins day. (laughs) Very good. You like like raisinets? I love raisinets. There's there's a too much. There's too much um, point. You know, a whole bag, a whole Mm. box from Costco. Not good. Or you know, in Canada we called them uh, glossettes. Ooh, interesting. Glossettes. Yeah, gloss. Yeah, you know, I, I never know. Like when I'm trying to make a reference to candy especially because we had we you know things had different names in canada so i just i never know i never know if i'm talking about a a, a canadian thing and people are going to look at me weird or if it's just like uh you know <laughs> something that'll actually resonate well we could talk about glossettes or raisinets all day but what we should really talk about is onboarding and why it matters so donna let's um go for it let's let's go for it I think maybe we could start just by learning a little bit. You know, you've you've been working on this book for a while, and it's it's been the culmination of a lot of the work that you've done in the customer success and customer education space. So I would love to hear just to start. What was your inspiration for for writing this book? Well, I mean, it's it's also the inspiration for what I'm doing in my work today. So do you want me to to start with that? Sure, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, well, so as you both know, I have a background in the customer education space and probably about 10 years ago started to see how uh, customer success was coming into the picture. And um, what I realized was that, one, customer education teams are often overly siloed. They're kind of in the shadows, you know, and, and we know how important, how much value they provide to the companies and to the customers. And so, um, you know, I realized there was an opportunity to, to, to like open things up and be part of a larger umbrella, which is customer success. Mm-hmm. So I started digging into customer success and diving into that space. But I was really surprised, you know, I'd go to the Gainsight Pulse conferences. I think I've been to six or seven of them. And I, you know, hear them talking about, you know, how important the customer is. And I never heard anyone talking about customer education. 
And then I'd go to conferences later on and hear them talking about, oh, you know, customer success and sales, customer success and professional services, customer success and support, customer success and product. And I'm like, why aren't people talking about customer education? So um, then I realized how often customer success managers are delivering training. And I'm like, they're acting like there's never been a thing called yeah. customer education, that, that we've been yeah. around and we have our methodologies and Such we know how to scale. I know. So I saw this gap in the space that, you know, although more and more companies are declaring that they're customer centric, there's still the lens is still very inwardly focused on customer success teams, on compensation, on account to CSM ratios, should a CSM sell or not. There's a lot of, you know, they're still talking about the company. And throughout my career, long before customer success, I've always been the one to raise my hand and say, what about the customer? So because of that, um, I've dove into customer onboarding, which includes customer enablement, and I uh, developed my six stages orchestrated onboarding framework and all that after working with companies and, and, and implementing best practices again and again. I, I, um, I put the book together to bring this to a wider audience. That's great. Um, so I think with this, with, with this discussion, like we're definitely holding the same kind of space. We understand this. We're at... For, for the podcast this year, we've decided we're going to focus a lot more on customer success. So you really fall into this. And this is like a really impactful time. We've had two previous episodes. We have Lincoln Murphy on. We've had Michael Harnum on. We talk squarely about what customer education can do for customer success. And I think that's a really interesting story that you told us. Like you've been, I mean, I was at a lot of those conferences with you, not together, but at the same time, hearing the same thing customer success, customer success in, but we, it, it's funny because we're still in this point where we know that this works, the customer education motions work, but it just doesn't seem to be getting to the awareness level of leadership. And that's why we wanted to talk to you today. So why don't we roll in? We've got some really good material to talk about. And you know, when you reached out to us about talking about your book, uh, you know, it, Adam had said this as well, like you had us at onboarding. Let's, <laughs> let's dive in and talk about like this, this is one of the, let's, let's talk about the first area of the book, why customer facing teams must work together to drive value. You know, that's kind of like the spirit of it because you listed off, you enumerated a whole bunch of different teams, customer success, sales, professional services, you know, all of these different organizations and both Adam and I know we're working with a lot of people. We're collaborating with so many people. We're never the, quite the focus. Um, so let's talk about this. You know, the, the, there's one quote that I read, and we both read through your book. Without a clear handoff from sales, a way to establish trusting relationship with new customers or to find account owner, hope was our strategy when it came to onboarding customers. I love that. Hope was our strategy. So let's dive into this first one and, and tell us more about this. Sure. Uh, in, well, first of all, you've had some great um, recent folks on the podcast, Eugene Levy, excuse me, Eugene Lee, uh, Michael Harnum, and Lincoln Murphy. And Eugene was talking about how, and, and I talk about this in my book, um, how that, you know, if you think back like 10 years ago, the, 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 the buyer journey was very ad hoc. Sales and marketing teams were yeah. often at the, each other's throats. Um, and it was kind of, you, you know, hope you used hope as a strategy there. And you had this sales funnel and you were kind of throwing things in the funnel and hoping they would stick. And now we, we have um, very sophisticated technology. Teams work together to provide a cohesive and seamless journey for the buyer to build trust, to deliver the right content at the right time, to create a relationship. So that side of the journey has been really developed over the last 10 years. And then the deal closes, and most companies use hope as a strategy. And the customer side of the journey is ad hoc. And it's kind of a black box. People don't really know what's working, what's going on. And we have traditionally all these customer-facing teams, professional services, support. Now we have customer success teams, um, education teams. They, they've been traditionally operated in silos, and they haven't really thought of 
the the customer journey as a larger you know thing that they're part of. They're all just like you know I've I've worked with customer education teams and they're yeah. they've got their blinkers on and they're busy trying to keep up with all the product releases and um, their heads down doing what they do well. And uh, they haven't really been brought together from a technology perspective or leadership perspective or, you know, company um, mission perspective to drive customers to value along a seamless journey. Yeah, Donna, I mean, I'm, I'm sure this is the case when you get brought in to consult. Um, it's certainly the case where when we talk to a lot of early stage customer success leaders or chief customer officers or VPs or whoever's you know starting this function for the first case uh, in the first place, you've got CSMs doing the manual work. Um, they know that they they have CSMs doing the training, but there's not necessarily a strategy or um, you know real thought put into to your point like the orchestration of that motion. And that's I think the light bulb that's increasingly going off in people's heads to say, oh my gosh, this is why we need customer education. But I think in your book you're even going beyond that to say. You don't just need customer education. You really need a whole uh, customer onboarding strategy, right? You need a process. You need a, you need a journey in place. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love, and this is why. Um, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, absolutely, and this is well, why I call call it the orchestrated onboarding framework because uh, the orchestration means working in coherence and harmony, uh, especially for something complex. And, um, you know, what I see is that customer success managers are acting like they're the solo artist and they're picking up every instrument. So they think, oh, my goodness, my job is to make customers happy. I need to delight the customer. And um, and so they're busy running around picking up each interest, instrument and playing it for the customer when really they should be the conductors who are bringing in the right uh, service the right touch at the right time, not to be the gopher doing everything. And I believe that when when companies can leverage their customer success managers as strategic trusted advisors, and then you know leverage all these amazing other teams, you know to to help scale and to provide um, different levels of touch, then then companies can be much provide have much more impact. Yeah, I, you, you know, Donna, this is really. This really is meaningful. It really resonates with me even now. You know, Adam and I, you know, we both, like you, been in a lot of places and seen a lot of things. And one of the things that... We, we get around. Adam, remember, we were building the, the customer. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, we have an interesting exposure to, to the market now because we are kind of like the underbelly trying to knit together all this tribal knowledge in, in such a way that it makes sense to a market, right? So they go, oh, I get how this all works. But it takes a lot of energy. And one I'm of always describing us as the underbelly. It's so funny. <laughs> okay. Uh, the foundation, the core. <laughs> <laughs> the, the roots. This underdog thing going on. Um, so w- what I was trying to get to is that y- you talked about heroics. And, and this is particularly resonant for me because you know, I'll go back and reflect on the last three organizations that I've been in. I see this, this I don't really want to call it backsliding and I don't want to have a negative connotation to anything that's happening. CSMs are prone to individual heroics because they're the first line of defense. They're the ones that organically start to go, oh, well, this is a mess. Uh, I'm going to take it upon myself to organize some stuff. So they do it and they all do it individually. And then there comes this hard swallow moment where you go, we can't keep this up. That, you know, a CSM's role is not to train. It's, it's not to be, you burn out. I, I've seen this all the time. You burn out as a CSM because you're training, you're teaching, you're doing some technical support, but we have other teams as we start to stratify and layer in other functionalities into our organization. And that means you can kind of kick back and do exactly what you said. I love the orchestration concept. Adam, I, like you and I are, are musicians. We've been in bands and orchestras and all that kind of jazz. And I think that really lends flavor to what we do because we, we definitely see this. You know, I play saxophone. Adam, you're going to be vocals and keyboards. Donna, you're going to play trombone. I don't know, but it, we, we are self, we're not as prone. We're prone to more taking on ourselves as CSMs rather than stratify and differentiate and use everybody for what they're good at. Yeah, absolutely. So what I see at companies where the customer success managers are, quote, delivering training 
they they're really uh, um, you know giving walkthroughs. Or one company I talked with, they have a, a marketing uh, platform, and so they're helping their customers do their first campaign. And then what happens is that uh-huh. the customer is now forever reliant on the CSM. So, um, you know, then they're coming back, Hey, you know, Hey, Adam, can you show me how to do my second campaign? They're not, they're not, they don't know how to, how to do this at scale and how to, you know, terms I use are, um, are make sure it's instructionally sound. So then the, 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 the customers are forever reliant on the CSMs and how are the CSMs going to onboard and drive new customers to value when they're busy handholding, um, all their growing install base. And then I yeah. see this, that by the in way, customer education issue sometimes. Oh, I was going to say this is why I take okay. issue sometimes with the term customer enablement, because even though enablement has one connotation that is broader than just education, broader than just training, we're doing what we can to really enable customers to use our products to be successful. It also can have that second connotation of yeah, we become enablers, right, to our to our customers. Yeah. You know, I really, until you said that, Adam, I don't think I've ever really grokked it. Like, I I grok it in a different level now after you just articulated that again. It's, you're talking about an enabler, like a parent. Okay. Right. Or like, like alcoholism. Never. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're just perpetuating something. Like, I, I I had a story I, I wanted to talk about. I had it later in the notes, but I'll say it now. So, I'll tell you like an honest story I had with Skilljar, our CSM. We use Skilljar. And uh, I was going to my CSM, Mike. Hi, Mike, if you're listening. And I caught myself in a moment where I had a question and I immediately thought, oh, I'll just call Mike or email Mike. And I go, why am I doing this? They have a great academy. They have support. And Mike tells me to go use this material. And I had to physically stop myself in that moment and say, this is dumb. I'm... I'm grown up. I'm going to go to the documentation portal. You know, I can't find what I need. I'll call support, right? Because it's not Mike's job. But if I'm thinking that, like that was a good reflection moment for me to say, oh my gosh, I'm doing it too. This is what enablement looks like. Really interesting. Yeah. We don't want our customers to become too reliant on us or too dependent on us. Um, so, I mean, Donna, I think the way that you describe it in your book is is really helpful. And I like that you come at it from the lens of, you come at it first and foremost from the business lens, right? You, you talk about CAC LTV ratio, which we like to talk about on the podcast. I talk about in my book as well. Just the idea that you're not building a healthy business if your business relies on reactive individual heroics. So I love that you start there. Well, thank you. And I do uh, uh, have a link to your book on the my book resources page. And um, Adam, and then I, one thing I wanted to add was, um, you know, so in the world of customer education, things have changed. You know, there was a time when we were like the official knowledge department. And, um, and if, if anyone wanted to learn anything about our products, it was through a customer education team. And things have changed now with things called YouTube and Google. <laughs> so people are looking for information quickly. In addition, it's so much easier for anyone to create content. And I work with companies where they have, you know, they're all looking out for the customer. Every department is creating content. So you've got folks in marketing and in support and in professional services, and they're all posting and publishing content. Um, And it's the, quote, everyone's an author era. So there's a huge opportunity there for the education teams to be the ones who are bringing everyone together to create this curated experience, this seamless experience. Mm-hmm. Um, when I work with companies, I often call, um, I, have, I have interviews with their customers to learn about what's working and what's not working. And I repeatedly hear that the content they find is out of date, or there's so many different things that are conflicting. What's the right way? So then they start calling the company, you know, the, uh, the, the, the expensive resources, the smart people inside a company, hey, where should I go? Because the smart people know what's the current content or what's the right accurate material to, to refer to. And so um, education teams have that opportunity. We don't have to know, we, they no longer have to create all the content, but they ha- can help pull it together so that it's this seamless um, prescriptive experience for the customers, which is what customers 
are demanding, you know, more and more we're moving to a consumer-like experience, even in B2B high-tech SaaS software. And it's, it's, it's our, our jobs to deliver that seamless experience. Like how you put that. This is a, I think this is a good natural segue. So good job on this and ta- talking about silos, which was another theme apart in, in as much as we're talking about orchestration. Now, now let's think about um, the side effect of growth. We've been at hypergrowth companies, and it's it's actually both exhilarating and it's absolutely painful at the same time because you're trying to do more with less. You're trying to conduct the symphony while the players are changing. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, on an airplane so in mid-flight. <laughs> on an airplane or on a rocket ship in mid-flight, <laughs> everything's going crazy. Um, you know. What happens when finally, like, we're, we're, we've got everybody's got a leader, they've got marching orders in their teams? Like, well, let's think about this. So, customer success has a great leader, they're all doing their thing, they're getting focused, they're hyper focused, and naturally, what happens? You don't think about the outside, you think about what's on your plate. Services starts to do the same thing, they're bringing customers in and enabling them or implementing them, getting them up to speed with a handoff. Sales doing the same thing. I'm closing deals, winning customers. You know, we're we're and and even in education, I found I go heads down too initially, when we're building the core content. But then there's a there's a moment where we need to do something else. Like we need we need to think about how do we get, look up and look out. Adam, what do you, what what thoughts do you have from your perspective on this? Yeah, I mean. I think it's this is a theme that's threaded throughout the book, but what I'd love to do is is maybe get a little bit more specific within the model, Donna, that you discuss within the book, because the orchestrated onboarding framework comprises a lot of the book. And, and what I love is that you include a lot of very tactical suggestions for not only like what what is each stage, but how do I now go and do it? So maybe we can maybe we can use this as a way to start really getting into uh, some of these early phases. So your orchestrated onboarding model starts with uh, three three phases that are really kind of leading up to that kickoff, right? You've got embark, handoff, and kickoff. And I'd love to to ask you a few questions around those, and then maybe we can come back and talk about uh, some of the pieces that really happen after kickoff. So Absolutely. maybe thinking about that embark phase, you you yeah you you call out some of the siloing, right? The and, and specifically the siloing between sales and CS. So you address this. Um, why, why do you think that AEs or sales teams are typically so reluctant to bring in CSMs or, or the post-sales teams during the sales cycle? They are. They are so, they're so scared. At, at one company I was you know, working with, they, they were just like, do not, like, do not enter this zone. But actually, another company I've been working with, they're like, you know what? The more people who can come in and show the customer the path to success, the better. So they really got it. So, um, you know, I think sales folks are are so, um, um, you know, they've got their formulas or their magic and they just don't want anyone to mess with it. They're worried that things are going to mess up, be messed up, you know. So this one company that where they were reluctant, they were worried that um, from an onboarding perspective, um, and, and let me just uh, uh, take a step back. So the embark stage usually happens; it starts before the deal closes. That's what I recommend. And at some companies, the handoff stage, you know, where you need to like uh, um, get uh, get to value quickly in order to recognize revenue, the handoff stage may even happen before the deal closes. So one company I've been I'm working with, uh, the first two stages start before the deal closes. Generally, Embark will start before the deal closes. So um, the, uh, the, the company where they were nervous, they were worried that the implementation teams were going to come in and start talking all technical and, you know, they're trying to emphasize, oh, our product's so easy to implement and use. And then the technical teams start talking about all the requirements and scare customers away. But in the Embark stage is not about technical requirements. It's about helping customers see the path to success, to, to know that there's a journey beyond the sales cycle, and to start building that, that relationship, to start establishing 
you know, that the, the CSM or the onboarding uh, team are, are that they're going to be in good hands to start transferring that um, trusted relationship over and to make sure that everyone's ready to go, you know? So, so also some customer success teams, they have no idea what's in the pipeline and then a deal closes and bam, they're supposed to like jump into and, and make the customer successful really quickly. So, you know, customer success teams need to know what, what deals are in the pipeline. They need to start having conversations. They might need to start assigning resources at the appropriate stage, you know, not when it's a 50% um, sales right. um, likelihood, but when it's 80 or 90, like they need to start like getting their team in the, in the right, you know, lanes. Yeah. I know in, um, in services, we have pipeline discussions about this all the time. Hey, this has a 50% chance of landing. This is 90%. We're doing the, exactly the same thing. And I'm usually part of those meetings in my org where I'm thinking ahead, oh, these are going to land. These are big accounts or these have these challenges. I, I, I think that's super interesting. And, I, and something that triggered in, in, in my mind as you were talking, Donna, I, I, I wanted to open up again, Adam, you and I are both kind of, we're, we are in agreement on the term enablement. But true to form enablement is almost like level setting expectations, right? It's a, I want you as a customer to understand the the, the flow of the journey, the journey, and understand the things that we're going to do to help you be successful from an educative point of view, right? At this stage, we it, and this is something that happens with a lot of customers as, and companies as they grow, that. There's that work to be done. The hard work to be done is between the value prop that I'm like, yeah, I'm on board. I, I got the budget. I love this. And using the product, there's that there's work to be done on both the customer and our side where you actually have to think about, okay, well, I'm just not going to turn the key and it's going to work. I mean, some products are like that. But there is the expectation settings is that you're going to be a partner in, in your own success. Exactly. And these are the things you have to learn and, and make decisions about and provide input to and that we are a partner on that journey together. And exactly. And that's where education really comes into play. It's getting, getting you prompted at these steps so that you know, oh, oh, I have to think about this. Cool. I got that. That's change management. Now I can exactly. get my team enabled. And then you're getting true to life. Okay, this is how I use the product from an admin persona. This is how I use the product from an end user persona and whatever flavor. But that's all kind of wrapped into onboarding. And I think in a lot of times it's commonly easy to miss important pieces. And then you've got an upset customer who's like, well, I don't know how to use this thing. And then they kind of check out and churn. Exactly. So, so yeah, so onboarding and implementation are hard. And it's also, you know, when, when, when you're most vulnerable, um, it's when customers are most excited and have high expectations. And then um, what helps is to build trusting relationships. And how do you build trust? By uh, being transparent, by communicating clearly and often, by um, having accountability from your side and the customer side. When I talk to customers, they tell me that they want to be held accountable, you know, that they wish that, that the project yeah. teams of their vendors they're working with held them accountable. So when you start with that bigger picture and you get really clear about who's doing what, when, and I even uh, think it's important to provide visuals, you know, to show kind of where you're going, what the journey looks like, mm -hmm. then uh, customers can start to put that buyer's remorse down, that, that worry, that doubt, that rumination, yeah. prospection which I talk about in, in the book, put those down and start to partner as Dave was saying. And then, um, and then, you know, you're, you're having a relationship with a common goal. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you even have a, a template Donna in your book for a, a joint success plan that can be used both to understand the customer's goals and to hold them accountable. I, I would I would love to hear. Um, and then, then maybe we can talk about some of the later phases when, when you think about, that success plan. I think we probably have a lot of listeners saying, okay, I want to get out there. I want to do joint success plans. I want to hold my customers accountable, but where do I start? I, I don't know if I can do the whole template right now. So like if you were to, if you were to give them one piece of advice, what would be the most important thing to capture in that success plan if they were just getting started? Well, well, I do have a success plan template on the book resources page. So you can go to my website and we'll, we'll share at the end. 
um, to download a template. And I have to tell you, I uh, I use success plans when I work with companies. And I'll, I'll answer your, your, your question in, um, in, in, uh, specifically in a moment, Adam. But what, what I found, uh, I got into trouble with one company I worked with because I had all these conversations with the buyer. And then we launched the project right. and I had conversations with the project team. And at some point, I realized that all of that stuff I communicated with the buyer was never communicated to the project team. So they were blindsided. And really important information from the buyer about deadlines and goals and um, was never communicated to me. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, I need to be using my own best practices. And now I use success plans. So I do that during the embark and the kickoff stage of my uh, fa- you know, framework of working with companies. And what happens is I have the buyer there and then I, I call it the core team, you know, the project team. We're all there. I review the core team gets to hear what was covered in the proposal. I actually copy and paste like the objectives from the proposal into the success plan and they can discuss them and argue them and refine them, you know, so we're doing that together. And then a really important thing is I would say maybe this is the most important thing, but then I'll say the next thing is the most important thing. (laughs) Um, Capturing (laughs) capturing risks and escalations. So uh, part of the success plan is like, how do we deal with things when it's not going well? Who do we escalate to? And you get permission. So you have the stakeholder there. If they say, call me on my cell, you get their cell number and you have that permission. And then you're not going, oh, goodness, what should I do? Things aren't going according to plan. You have permission set up. So we address the risks and the gaps. So for example, for a company implementing software, you might say, you know, our risk is you don't have an ass- anyone to fulfill an admin role and uh, you need to assign someone or you need to hire someone. And what are the, the, you know, that's a gap. And these are the risks if you don't fulfill that. Or it may be, hey, we have managed admin services. We recommend those. And uh, let's, let's, you know, discuss getting those kinds of services. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then I get everyone in that team, I get their personal contact info, email and cell or mobile number. And then, um, you know, for all these companies who are saying, oh, I only have the champ. I only got the champ and they leave and I'm stuck. Well, now I've got five people's uh, emails their roles, and their cell phone numbers. And I'll just tell you, just before we met, I reached out to CEO of a client I wanted to follow up. Guess what? I have a cell phone number on the success plan. That's where I lived. And now I have a way to contact him. So, um, you know, getting that contact info and capturing um, any risk. And, and, we all, and it's our job. We've all been there and done this. We know what the risks and the gaps are that are pretty common. You know, oh, we have competing priorities. Oh, the head of sales is going to resist this. Great. How do we how do we resolve that? It's not my job to to address the head of sales, you know, uh, and and we said we're going to escalate to that to the CEO. Yeah, and and you capture this really well Donna in in your book with uh you, you know, you have a visual for this. There's the bow tie model, right? Where you actually talk about how um, often in the sales process, there's that, and these are visuals for those of you watching on our YouTube channel. Um, we have a, we have a, a video now. So, uh, here's my sophisticated <laughs> visuals. The bow tie model starts with you funneling down from the pre-sales process, from the buyer journey, but then you have to start all over again and enable the actual like project team or, uh, the post-sales customer group. And then, and so that it, it, it spirals back out, um, but right there in the nexus, and, and again, I think you're capturing this so well right now, the idea that you really have to tie both of those threads together and make sure that both of those teams, the buyer and the uh, the users, have the same context uh, for what the customer is actually trying to do with the product, for what the potential risks are, uh, and be able to capture you know, any potential gaps and services and additions that might be necessary to actually uh, kind of implement per the buyer's vision. So I'd love to to maybe use that as a transition point now into the stages of the orchestrated onboarding that come after the kickoff. So your your phases here are really around adoption. You call them adopt, review, and expand. So Donna, maybe yeah, maybe I'm to just, start I'm here. Just, oh, oh. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I just want to talk about the the handoff because um, it's so important. 
Um, you know, from what you were saying, Adam, you, uh, it, it, the reality is that for most companies, 50 to 80% of their revenue is coming from their existing customers. And I believe that from 2020, that's that, that I, you know, the, it, 2020 was a rough year for everyone. If there's a, a silver lining yeah. is that companies are mm-hmm. valuing their existing customers because maybe they didn't get a heck of a lot of new customers in 2020. But if they looked after their existing customers, they were doing well. So that's why, you know, all of this customer um, onboarding, a- enablement, breaking down the silos, providing a seamless journey are so important. And then when you do the handoff, well, then you're handing off from the sales rep to the, um, the, the, the post sales teams effectively, but you're also handing off from the stakeholder to the project team um, so that they know what's happening and why. And so we start with the, the first two stages are very strategic with the embark and handoff stages. And then we get more tactical with the kickoff. That's really, you know, project plans, timelines, um, technology, um, so roles and responsibilities. And then we move into adopt. And the adopt stage can be the longest um, because if your software is long and complex to implement, and um, I, I, within Adopt, there's a lot going on because you're not just going live with your product. You're also right. ideally getting um, the users uh, trained, you know, that, that you might have admins, you might have developers, you might have business users, you might have executives who all need to know not just how to log in, not just how to click on uh, features and functions, but how to do their jobs in your products. Um, as uh, my good friend Adam says, people don't care about your software. So you need to help them know what value they can obtain. And and that might also include some change management. You know, some companies, it's not just a matter of, great, you've got a product, but they really need to know where that fits in with their business processes and and how they work. Yeah. Donna, you were were quoting me. I, I would quote our friend Bill Cashard. Who you know talks about customer education and, <laughs> and adoption as jobs to be done? Yeah, and these he's jobs quoting uh, is I think it's Jim. Uh, oh God, thank you, for, Jim Cabbage. Yeah, who, uh, who wrote Hold that on. book? An attribution. Uh, we have to we have to start listing all these out. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, something I wanted to talk uh, about. Hold on, hold on. Let me just get that Jim call back, call back. and he I, I include his book as Jim a resource Kalbach. on my site as well. Jim, K A L B A C H, and he wrote uh, the the jobs oh jobs to be done, and um, yeah because you know it's not just about our, our job is not to make our customers master button clickers, it's to help them get value, and yeah. that value might be saving time, making money, saving money, being compliant. It's not about they they really don't care about our, our awesome products. Yeah, yeah, you got in in that. In the discussion, you talked a lot, or in the book, you talked a lot about standardizing metrics and goals coming out of onboarding, which I think this concept of time to first value, Adam, we've talked about this a lot, where how, how do we get to value? How do we measure that? And that's going back to some of the things that you were talking about in all these phases, what I think, think is really a fascinating is that you pulled through the concept of some of the things that you know, when I was a management consultant professional, all the things you're doing are table stakes for the, that kind of work where you're setting expectations, you're, you're, you're setting up your escalation process. You have a racy for all the people that are important. And, you know, this is not a lot of thing. Uh, we don't hear this enough in our universe where having good business analysts and business analysis and project management skills really come into play in a serious way through the bow tie model. Because you're knitting together and orchestrating this entire thing. This is really evocative to me of some of the contracts that, that I had been on as a, a management consultant. Because they were, they were massive and they took m- months, years to do. And to make people, everybody accountable, including ourselves, there's a lot of work. And you've articulated this quite well. So now, you know, now we're pulling through. And now we're getting to the point where we're reviewing. We're doing retrospectives. Now we want to expand and that's hard too, and it's really particular hard, particularly hard if we've not done our due diligence with metrics. Like, uh, give you a good story. Outreach has done a really interesting thing, and you know I've been adjunct to this, but I love the fact that our professional services and CS teams have set the bar and said, 
these are the baseline metrics for your company. Here's where the baseline metrics are for all companies. This is where we think you should be. Where do you want to be? How do we, and this is how we can partner with you to get to that point. And that's a, that's a combination of a lot of different complicated motions. Some, many are actually training and education. They're not called as such. So I, I love that you've given space to this and opened this up and kind of pulled it through into this bow tie metal that we can easily reference and say, oh yeah, we've got, we, and I guess before we get onto the next topic, what's really important and, and, you know, it's key from your book and great for our industry to hear is that we in customer education are not this. We and all these other teams are not this. We're not in our silos. We are a, a, a um, fabric and education happens. I, Adam, didn't you even say this at one point? You brought brought this comment like we're all educators. We I all do have say a that. Piece of it. and, it's and one of my right. one of my many catchphrases. <laughs> and we should double down on that because it's important. But the problem with it is, is we have this feedback loop that we set up as customer education. We get to a point where we're like, okay, we've got all this together. Now we need to blow it all out and meet meet everybody where they are, including the other teams. And then we all level up together. So we're facilitating and curating and making the flow happen. And that's yeah. our role is to like be there everywhere fluidly. Yeah, the education teams can be the really cool. Like I love this concept of orchestrating. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, I actually um, crochet. So I call myself a hooker because I crocheted. <laughs> Did I tell you that last time we met? Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, yeah. But, I don't think so. That's great. But, it, you know, they don't, it, education teams have such a larger opportunity to role to play. You know, there's so much opportunity there. And it's not a matter of waiting for someone to say, hey, Dave, can you like bring these teams together? It, no, dive in and do that. You know, when I worked at a, a previous company, I did not, I saw that that we're in silos and I use this as a case study uh, throughout onboarding matters. I saw we were in silos. I saw what the needs were. I saw teams weren't really focused on the customers and I just jumped in and, you know, I didn't ask for permission <laughs> um, and I didn't have to ask for forgiveness, thankfully. But, uh, but you know, that's, the, I believe education teams have that opportunity to jump in and play a much larger role and to start looking at the impact on the business metrics, you know, and we cover this in the book. And I, I shared in the book, I was mm -hmm. laid off. My whole education team was laid off because I did not demonstrate to the company what the impact right. was. And even though I could say, hey, our quarterly eval scores have gone up 0.2%, um, you know, for, or, or, or 10%. Um, or where our NPS is high, but if, if I'm not demonstrating the impact on the business and the impact on the customers, then people wonder what we're what we're doing. Um, so, so, so one, we have that responsibility to to be larger by showing the impact, and we have colleagues in this in in, in the customer education space who have done that very anecdotally. You don't need a data scientist on your team to do that. Just, you know, have a spreadsheet and just start digging around and find out some anecdotal evidence, some correlation. You don't have to prove causation. Um, so so can you can start playing larger there. And then you can also start playing larger by like, hey, have a chat with the head of professional services. I did that at my previous company. And he, I said, hey, you know, rather than doing this consulting where your consultants have to describe the same things over and over, have the customer take this one course first, and then your team can be those awesome experts and they don't have to describe the basics over and over. And so we just, you know, built that into the process. Mm -hmm. So it's up to you to have those conversations and not hope that somebody notices that, that there might be value there or tells you, you know, go, go, um, could you make this a priority? They don't get that. We get that. We need to, we need to drive that. Yeah, in an orchestra, Absolutely. this is music to my ears. In an orchestra, like customer education <laughs> might be something like the, like a cello, because um, it's it's polyphonic. You can play multiple notes at once, right? Because you're you're doing multiple multiple jobs at once. You're but you're also providing like ground cover for the other people who might be soloists. You don't get much. You don't usually get a cello solo um, in a, in an orchestral piece, but it's doing a ton of work to lay the groundwork for the other instruments who might end up being the soloists at other points. That's my analogy and I stand behind it. <laughs> Very good. Um, 
Well, we're I think we're about the point to wrap up. So let's let's thread the needle and talk about this scale. Like squarely, we're back to education, customer education, and and let's throw this out there. Customer education is a scale engine for customer success. I think you're you're angling in at this, and what we mean by this is something specific. Again, going back to a quote, even you had in the book. CSMs are often the ones delivering product training. Loading CSMs with training responsibilities leads to adding more CSMs every time your customer base grows. And that means margins aren't growing no matter how many accounts you close. This is a, an endemic problem we have in this space. It's terrifying. So we're, yeah, we're, we're kind of stealing from ourselves, right, all the time and building, you know, like, just, I'm going to get on the phone one-on-one. Can you keep going? When we can offload that, have some of our team building the content or an education professional doing that. Well, let's talk about this and dive in. Like, um, what is this, what is this resistance? How is it we can help more? What are the, why are we a scale engine? These are the kind of things always going through my head because I see the value in this orchestrated approach. And this is the point where we're able to start amplifying what a customer success manager or anybody in the organization needs to train can do. Sure. Well, I attribute uh, I attribute um, that customer education is the scale engine of customer success to Adam, and um, I see that we mm-hmm. do that in four ways. So one is that we know how to be uh, consistent and repeatable. When customer success managers deliver training, generally it's very ad hoc. They're all doing their own thing. Customers are not getting a consistent experience. Uh, two, we know about being hands-on and interactive. And so we're not, you know, when, when customer success teams deliver training, it's much more of a product tour. Hey, let me show you around the product. And it's, they might, uh, you know, highlight sp- uh, features and functions, but they're not really focused on, it. it's not instructionally sound content that's real focused on jobs to be done. Um, if it's not interactive, then, you know, retention is going to be lower. And then we know how to create a one-to-many model. So if you're delivering instructor-led training, whether that's live online, which is the way things are right now, or uh, uh, classrooms, uh, it, it may be in the aftertimes, um, then you can maybe have m- uh, people from multiple customers uh, uh, come together. And when you do a um, self-paced then you know you can grow re- your reaches can grow exponentially. So customer education knows how to do that, and and then also having learning pathways, role based learning pathways, and and maybe you know uh, knowledge checks and things like that. Um, so that's that's how customer education can scale customer success. So that then customer success managers are uh, helping customers reach their desired outcomes are helping to drive them to initial value and then long-term value and are onboarding new customers rather than delivering training over and over, especially when they work in an industry where there's high turnover and they're not having to train every new user that comes on. Um, And then also, you know, we talked about uh, my sixth stage of onboarding, of the onboarding framework, which is uh, expand because in some regards, you're always onboarding uh, accounts and users to new features, new functions, new products, and to new levels of maturity. So, so that then you that that can really scale with existing accounts accounts through um, education, and um, and so you know we talked about transparency, communication, accountability on the side of the customer. Well, that all needs to happen internally as well, and um, you know need I, I know everyone's busy. But uh, customer education professionals can start to gather the teams together. Um, in, in the book, I talk about um, having a content council or training councils. Uh, one company I worked with last year—that's what they did. They just they 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 created a training council because they had a um, kind of a mission at that company that everyone was helping the customer. So there was just content all over the place, and so bringing everyone together and getting clear about who's doing what when creating some styles and standards, creating a, a, um, an inventory to know what's out there, um, keeping things not just created but maintained. Um, so that's one way you can really bring folks together and having conversations like with the head of um, sales. If you have customer marketing teams, helping customers know what's available to drive them to 
keep getting value in, in your products. So that's a way, you know, just start reaching out, having conversations, stay curious, and then experiment. This is a, a, my new word of the week is experiment. Um, and and, and um, I know I, I knew I had to say the word hypothesis <laughs> today. Um, so have a hypothesis. Have a hypothesis and, you know, uh, and just say, hey, I think we could all work together and what, you know, start small, be agile, be iterative and just start experimenting. It doesn't have to be, you know, oh, we need this platform. We need that. We need a data scientist. Just, you know, start real simple and um, and start talking and listening. I think that's the most important thing. Well, Donna, that sounds an awful lot like the sign-off to our show where we say educate, experiment, and find your people. But we would be remiss to finish before we tell you, listeners, if you want to improve your onboarding motion and make it more consistent, uh, or if you're a customer education leader who is looking to influence the onboarding process and grow your scope, you need Donna's book. So Donna, where, where can people find your book? Well, it's now available for pre-order on Amazon, which, and so go to onboard, look up Onboarding Matters. Um, it goes live on March 30th. And then you can also go to DonnaWeber.com slash book, and you can get all you need there. Um, and the same, the same URL, uh, orchestratedonboarding.com goes to the same place. That's a great Perfect. Domain. Well, Donna... Thank you so much for being on. Again, we, we love having you on the show. You're you're a light in times of chaos and your book is great. So uh, I'm gonna, I'm ordering my official copy. You've already let us see it. So it's, it's wonderful. It's a great addition to your library. Now to end out the show, again, if you wanna learn more, uh, we have a podcast website at customer.education. It's a domain as well, where you can find our show notes, transcripts, other material. I am at Dave Darrington on the Twitters. I'm at Evermescu. Adam. And Donna? Are you on Twitter? At Donna Webb. At Donna, at Donna Webb. Webb. Easy. Special thanks to Alan Cota for our theme music. Yeah. Uh, if you're listening to the audio only podcast, know that we are now on YouTube. We have video. So go to our YouTube channel, search for C Lab. Uh, please consider subscribing as we'll be placing more video content in the future. And if this helped you out, you can help, help us out by subscribing, leaving us a positive review. And thanks for joining us. Go out and educate, experiment, and find your people. Thanks so much. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Donna. That was so fun. Thank you so much.